From Capital Analytics, I'm Abby Maloney, and this is Invest Insights. Every week, we bring you perspectives, business advice, and more from the leading executives, entrepreneurs, and investors who are building, diversifying, and leading the way in the country's fastest-growing metro markets. Real leaders, real insights, right now. Welcome to Invest Insights. I'm Abby Maloney. I'm joined today by Fred Pinto, the mayor of the village of Royal Palm Beach. Fred, how are you doing today? I'm fine. How are you, man? Very, very good. You know, we're going to be looking at this new economy that's been shaped very much uh, due to the pandemic, uh, new business norms, new operations, and, and so on. But first, I wanted to start off on the personal side. Uh, what are some new personal norms that you might have started during the pandemic that you're going to continue into this post-pandemic world? Any new hobbies, new interests, uh, new technologies that you're using? I don't have any new hobbies or new interests, but I do. I have been using this new technology thing called Zoom. I think we're yes. on that right now. <laughs> and I find it to be very productive in terms of you know not having to worry about time and space, but to be able to get together with people and actually discuss some very serious uh, points of uh, issues and concerns and and really have a productive conversation. So I, I see um, I see myself wanting to continue to use the Zoom platform for, for different types of meetings. Um, that doesn't mean I'm not going to travel to different locations, but I, don't, I, I see my travel maybe being cut at least in half uh, as a result of using this new technology. Rural Palm Beach is located about 15 miles away from the coast and West Palm Beach. As both the mayor, as well as the chairman of the Palm Beach Transportation Planning Agency, and the region that's typically favored the car as the preferred means of transportation, what steps are you taking to make mobility easier and less car dependent throughout the community? And what are the key obstacles facing development and promotion of alternative modes of transportation? Well, I tell you, let me let me share with you a story that I've, I've repeated I've, several hundreds of times over the years, and certainly over the last, uh, I would say the last two or three years, uh, when citizens in my village come to me and complain about some new project that's going on or some new development that may be happening, the complaint is always, it's only going to create more traffic. And I listen to the complaint. I let them finish what they're saying. And I look them straight in the eye and say to them, you know something? You're exactly correct. There will be more traffic. And, but I said, but the reason why there's more traffic is not the reason why you think. The reason why there's more traffic is we've got a transportation uh, focus. And when I say we, I'm not only talking about at the Palm Beach County level, but at the state level and at the federal level, the Federal Highway Commission. It's all focused on the funds that come in is to inject those funds into creating more roads and more lanes for more cars. So logic would tell you, if I continue to just build more lanes, I'm feeding the problem. It's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. We're always going to have more cars. And then I say to them, I say, my job, you know, not only as the mayor, but as the, the chairman of the Transportation Planning Agency, um, is to come up with a solution for the future as we move forward that truly will make cars optional. And I, and I mean that literally. I want us to, I, I see a future for us in providing very enhanced, very robust public transportation solutions that people will actually have an option to say, I don't need to take my car to get to where I want to go, when I want to get there safely and comfortably, and then get back home the same way when I want to get home. I don't want to have to wait for train for hours or things like that where we can provide a robust public transportation capability with connectivity, uh, that will truly persuade a lot of people today to say, I don't want to drive my car. I'm going to take public transportation. And 
I believe that's what we have to do to answer this problem about traffic. And, and that's the only way we're going to solve it. And to do that, um, you know, I think we're at a point in time where we're building what I call the foundation to create that car optional future. And the key to that foundation is we have to create a sustained funding mechanism for the cities, for the county, all right? And, and not only that, a sustained funding mechanism that will attract more grant dollars that we can apply for from the federal government, from the state, to build out this public transportation capability. Now, I want to note that when I talk about public transportation, I'm also including in that the ability to bicycle more than you do today. All right. We have 80 percent of the people who would like to ride a bike. But they're, they're, they're not professional bike riders, but they don't feel safe riding bikes on the, the, the models we have in place now for, for bike lanes. We need to one of the things we're working for at the TPA is to change that. We've got to work with FDLT to get that done. Um, but it's definitely a, a, a change of direction that we've initiated and, and a different stance we're taking Say no, we don't want to continue to build bike lanes the way we've been doing it. We want protection in place because I want, to, I want the, the 80% of the bike riders to feel comfortable, not just the 5-10% elite bike riders that currently do what we have. So that's the kind of dialogue that I've been engaged in in terms of what our citizens, and that's the, the direction that the, the, uh, the board, uh, the 21-member board of the TPA that we're going in. And um, But the first thing is to get the foundation in place. We need to create this new funding mechanism that doesn't exist today. It's going to be something similar to what they're doing in Broward County and, 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 and Miami-Dade and, and up, up further north. Other counties have moved forward to create a separate transportation funding fee so they too can address their public transportation needs. Between its numerous parks and a general commitment towards green space, how has Royal Palm Beach balanced the ever-increasing demand of real estate development and growth while maintaining its natural attractiveness in parks? Well, one of the ways we've been able to do that is just by saying no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I say that somewhat in jest. Uh, what I really mean is we've already uh, uh, determined in our village many years ago what parts of the village are zoned for industrial, light industrial, commercial, hmm. and residential. And um, what, for the most part, over the years, we've been able to, to, to stick to that. Because by following that blueprint, if you will, that we've established many years ago of where we wanted things to happen or grow within the village, we've been able to maintain a, a consistent quality of life that the people in the village are used to. We are very park-centric in, in the village. We have more parks per capita than any other city in Palm Beach County. And we're very proud of that because that's one of the attributes in our city that the citizens like, why they come here, and why they want to raise their families here. Uh, a recent, though, uh, you know, something I would I would say we got to a discussion about what's different now, what's the new norm going to be uh, going post COVID. One of the things we're seeing is across the country, real estate uh, developments for commercial uh, and retail, persona non grata. It's, there's no market there for that right now. I mean, on the commercial side, um, we're going to see a transformation where a lot of companies who had a, a pretty large uh, footprint for office space want to reduce that footprint because they're gonna to continue to have many of their employees work from home. An interesting statistic, I've been tracking all of the reports on what's been going on in, in, in the economy and businesses across the country. And an interesting statistic that keeps popping up is that many businesses have found having some of the employees who can work at home, work at home, have been more productive than when they were working in the office. Now, at the end of the day, business is about productivity. And if you're getting greater productivity, why would you change that formula? 
So many businesses are telling their, their, their people now, you know what? You've been working at home for the last eight months. Continue to work at home. There's a story I shared that I had with a young lady uh, that recently uh, located to the village. And she tells me that she used to work just about a few miles uh, south of Seattle for a major company up there. And she was telling me that she was paying $3,600 a month for a place to live, plus $400 for a place to park her car. That's $4,000 a month she's paying. She said that when her employer told her that she no longer had to come into the office, that she could continue to work from home, she said she asked a question. Does that mean I can live anywhere I want in the country? And they said, yeah, you're working remotely. But she decided to come down to South Florida and visit this little town called you know, Royal Palm Beach. And now she tells, she, then she says when she got here, she got a place to live, a very nice luxury apartment, $1,600 a month, including parking. But here's the part of the story that, that I really like. She says, then she says, and I feel like I got a raise. I said, well, why do you feel like you got a raise? She says, because Florida doesn't have a, a state tax, an income tax, wherever she was. So that story in itself has been repeating itself thousands of times, not just for, you know, not just in the village of Wall Beach, but in South Florida in general. So it is really changing the landscape. But one of the things that that's demonstrated and that's happened is there's enormous, enormous pressure in the marketplace for people looking for places to live. They're looking to buy homes. They're looking for luxury rentals. And the market, it's just not there. Many people may not realize this, but when we came out of the downturn about three or four years ago, one of the things that we realized was the, the housing market supply was, was below the norm. The norm is about six-month inventory. It's been hovering around four, four and a half months. It has never gotten beyond four and a half months. So when you add that now, 50, more than 50% of the people in the South Florida market looking for a place to live now are from out of town. They're moving down here in droves. So what has that done? The people who are in the business who build either real estate, commercial, office buildings, they're in trouble because those, that market is just contracting. It's not expanding. So no one wants to build new office space now when the market is, is contracting. The same thing is true of retail. There's a, it's having the same ripple effect in the retail level in terms of retail spokes being available, and that's, that's contracting in that marketplace. But what they really want to build is places for people to live, townhomes, luxury rentals, uh, 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 single-family homes. So uh, virtually almost every week, we've had developers come into the village, and they would start a dialogue by saying, look, you know, we're looking at this plot of land that you have in the village. Uh, and you know, and not that we own it; it's a private ownership. But they know they know that in order for them to do anything, they have to convince the village uh, elected officials to change the zoning from industrial to residential. And we've been very nice; we would listen to them, they give us an illustrative. But at the end of the day, we're kind of telling them we don't really think that'll be in the best interest of the citizens who live here now, and we really don't think that will maintain the quality of life that our citizens have continue to enjoy. So we've kind of had to nicely kind of say, we don't think that's something that we want to do that rezoning in that particular phase. But that is what's going on in the marketplace. And it's, you know, something that we, you know, that we have to address kind of on a week by week basis, but that's what we've been doing. And now that we find ourselves in this new landscape, what's next for the village of Royal Palm Beach? Well, one of the things I've been talking to our manager about is we need to kind of, I'm the person who always like to kind of look down the road in the future and figure out what do we need to do now to be positioned, you know, as we go down the road in the next five to 10 years. One of the things I've been concerned about is the value proposition for the village of Walpon Beach. We are in a very good position. We, we weathered the, the downturn in terms of a lot of cities lost revenues. 
we lost some revenues, but we took early actions to offset costs, all right, so that we wound up really balancing it out. And we, we did very well getting through the, the, uh, the pandemic and in terms of where we are from a fiscal standpoint. We're a village. We don't have any debt. We made some strategic decisions several years ago to retire debt when we had that opportunity. And we haven't raised our military rate, I'm going to say, over 20 years now. Um, we haven't raised our military. So that's been the theme of our village. And that's what we call the value proposition that residents like about coming to live in the village of Wapa Beach. One of the uh, part of the value proposition for many years was if you were a, a new, you know, a young family, first time home buyers, you could find a place in the village that you can afford that was affordable for you to buy. I don't know if that's still true because the, the cost of house, the, the prices on homes have gone crazy through the roof. Uh, and I know, <laughs> I know for many years what the property values have been in our village, and they are way off the scale now. So I'm concerned in that the conversation we're having is, well, you know, how does this impact the village's value proposition going forward? You know, has it changed dramatically? And is it something that we can reverse, something we can adjust? And we're trying to figure out how to do that. Now, I've got some ideas I'm not going to want to go public with now, but there are some, some things we're thinking about that we could do to try to, to offset this imbalance that we've experienced in terms of what our value proposition is going forward. And that's something that we're look, we are looking at that in a conscious way to figure out what, what levers there are that we can pull or things that we can do. Well, thank you again. That's Fred Pinto, the mayor of the village of Royal Palm Beach. My name is Abby Malone. Thank you again, Fred. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. You've been listening to Invest Insights. Be sure to follow, rate, and review this podcast to hear more. I'm Abby Malone. Thank you for tuning in. From Capital Analytics, I'm Abby Malone, and this is Invest Insights. Every week, we bring you perspectives, business advice, and more from the leading executives, entrepreneurs, and investors who are building, diversifying, and leading the way in the country's fastest-growing metro markets. Real leaders, real insights, right now. Welcome to Invest Insights. I'm Abby Malone. I'm joined today by Michael Pelosi, the president of HFM Investment Advisors. How are you, Michael? Thank you for joining us. I'm doing great today. Thanks for having me as your guest. Fabulous. You know, we're going to talk about this new economy that was created due to the pandemic and talk about new norms, new new business uh, strategies and operations. But before we go there, I want to start off by asking you, what are some new personal norms, any new um, hobbies, interests, technologies that you're using, uh, ways of organizing yourself that you didn't use before the pandemic, but you see yourself continuing forward in, in a post-pandemic climate? Yeah, definitely. That's a great question. Uh, one of the things on a personal level is definitely an attention to consistently working out more and my eating habits. I, I guess you had a choice during pandemics to either get lazy and a little bit heavier and yes. have bad eating <laughs> habits. And I think I started out that way and then I changed it pretty quickly. And so uh, there's a group of us that are just keeping in touch, each other in touch with, you know, staying in good shape. Um, on the business side, definitely a, a more use of Zoom. And we started a couple of new podcasts for um, our oh, clients and so and some quick webinars. So using technology and 
uh, what Zoom has available for us has been able to expand our business horizons, definitely. Excellent. You know, in this current economy, what are some of the core tenants or strategies you advise your clients on in regards to successfully managing their assets in what seems to be a strong but perhaps inflated market? Yeah, I, that's a great question. So in today's market, when we talk with our and speak with our clients, the markets always seem to be the high and people always feel that this is an inflated market, no matter what, what environment. And right now, the the Dow, you know, it peaked and hit 35,000. The S&P almost hit 4,400. And we're always talking about the markets at a high. Well, we, when we work with our clients on a financial planning level, we always try and look at the long-term perspective. And if you look backwards, um, the markets always continue to hit a high. So if we keep that in, in our client's mind and perspective that, yes, today there's lots of things going on, there's lots of noise, and it may seem like the markets are at a high. I remember just less than a year ago, it seemed that we would never hit 30,000. Now we're exactly. at 35. So we try and keep our clients focused and set their expectations that our clients are investing long term. And although the markets seem like it's a high, let's look at the, the future and your retirement and keep our eye on, on the goal in the long term. As a relatively smaller firm, how are you disrupting the financial planning sector? Like what makes your approach different than more traditional firms? That's great. Being um, being an independent firm, and, and what that may mean to our listening audience is we we are fiduciaries for our clients, and so we're a registered investment advisor, and so we don't have to answer and adhere to any of the big larger firms, such as the, maybe the Merrill Lynch's or the Morgan Stanley's or some of the insurance companies, and so we control our own destiny with our clients and how we speak with them and and the products that we offer. So w- what makes us a little bit different in that in that venue? is that all of our advisors work as a team for all of our clients. So none of all, although our clients may have a, an initial contact, whether myself or one of the advisors, if we're not in the office or we need to bring in some of their expertise, we can all work with our clients collectively. And that brings the uh, knowledge and experience to our clients so that they know that they're getting the best advice from someone in that specific situation. With the heightened interest and focus on more volatile and unpredictable investments like cryptocurrency, how much risk tolerance have you seen amongst your clients for these types of investment vehicles? And what uh, does age play a factor in that? Yeah, that's great. We have been getting some heightened questions on that. And it's because of the media is making so much noise around that. Yes. And for personal investing for their portfolios, the clients who are interested in it, most of the time they are a little bit younger because you have to have that knowledge base and the use of technology to be able to navigate, you know, just even looking at seeing what cryptocurrency is. So for the ones that are truly either interested in learning about it or interested in actually investing in that, two different types of advice we would give. Um, The ones that are truly looking to invest, we tell them just invest enough of your money that you feel comfortable with that if you were to go to casino and lose all of that potentially that's <laughs> sure. enough and it's usually a small percentage of the entire portfolio three to five percent that's about it and if you're comfortable with that will help them navigate the uh, steps that they need to take to buy and sell that cryptocurrency we won't do a form we'll help them do it you know show them where to do it on their own and everybody else usually is just i know what you're going to tell me but i'm interested in cryptocurrency what should we be doing and we just tell them It's a good thing to watch on the news, but I wouldn't put any of your own money in there. For sure. And now that we find ourselves in this new economy and landscape, what is next for HFM investment advisors and the financial planning industry overall? 
Uh, that's that's really good. We're always, of course, we're financial planners. We're always planning our business at the same time. But we, we believe that the industry is changing between people and technology. Um, technology is always changing. So we're always looking at the latest technology to be able to either one, lower the costs for clients over on their investments, two, um, provide more efficiencies and more ability for them to contact us and to for us to provide uh, new and updated services and information what's going on in the economy. But on the people side, um, we're seeing extremes where a lot of older advisors are now retiring out of the marketplace. Right. And we're not being um, added new advisors coming out of college. So we mm-hmm. focus, we're on a college campus at Rowan University. And beside between myself, my current partner, Jason, and a recent hire, all three of us have started in the industry as an intern. So we focus all of our future efforts in growing our practice on working with interns, helping them while they're in college, educate them, and then bring them into the business the right way. So we feel that we're, we're able to grow our team and we're going to be able to provide more services and advice for the marketplace. Fabulous. Well, thank you again. That was Michael Pelosi, the president of HFM Investment Advisors. My name is Abby Malone. Michael, thank you so much again. Thank you. It was a pleasure. You've been listening to Invest Insights. Be sure to follow, rate, and review this podcast to hear more. I'm Abby Malone. Thank you for tuning in.